This is an ABC podcast. Oh, I'm hungry. Tommy <laughs> <laughs> just rumbled. <laughs> bang, 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 I am so happy to see you. Yeah, highlight your of my radiant week. radiant little face, your oh. beautiful little bright eyes. Look, at your be- speaking of beautiful bright eyes, your eye makeup on the telly has been magnificent in the last couple of weeks, I've got to say. Love a bit of, love a pop of colour. A little pop of colour. All credit to Kerry Stanley, the incredible makeup artist who gets up at the crack of to mm. um, do all the makeup for ABC News Breakfast. Kerry's bang fam as well. Shout outs to Kerry. Yeah. And she is, I give her just free reign every week. I'm like, whatever I'm wearing, I'm like, just go for gold. And I close my mm. eyes and then I open them and it's like, wow. And I love it. So um, I don't get to do that kind of stuff and we don't really get to go out. I am, like I said, I think before, saving a lot of money on makeup at the moment. So mm. it's nice to kind of get a bit zhuzhed up yeah. um, every, once a week. So, yeah, thank you. I, I've been having a lot of fun with that. That's good. Now, just a little warning because I remember when I was filming Spicks and Specs all those years ago in the first, like, original seasons, I did the same thing with hair and makeup. I would turn up and go, do whatever you like, do whatever you like. And I had no idea that that would still be screening, like, (laughs) 15 (laughs) years later. (laughs) And, look, let's just say the 2000s, between 2005 and 2012, they weren't great years for passion seven, and hairstyles. Seven years. And That's a big chunk of time. I know. And I have to relive it. Like someone sent me a photo the other night. I think it was Nina Agzarian. Um, she sent me a photo the other night of me and I had this massive hairstyle and like it's full of crimps and everything. It was crimped. It was amazing. Um, I love it. But, yeah, I, I, I might not have been – and I think I might not have been so free with it had I known it would have kept coming back at me. But, you know, who cares? Enjoy life. The, pe- the perils and the joys of syndication. I love that you're like a little visual time capsule for us all, for fashion through the 2005s to it, 2012s. It was a bad time. It was a bad time. <laughs> 2000s weren't great, were they? Jeans, no, no, jeans were low. No. Nah. Sunglasses were wrap around. Oh. I mean, my Facebook memories tells it all. It was a bad time. It was a very bad time. <laughs> hey, um, some some good news. A little Britney update to kick off. In the last day or so, uh, Jamie Spears, her father, has filed to end the court conservatorship she's been in for thirteen years. Now the judge needs to approve this. He'd already said that he'd planned to step down. This has been a kind of rolling story that we've chatted about over the last couple of months on Bang On. And he said that in August, but he gave no real Mm. timetable to it. And now he's popped up and said, I'm ending, not just I'm stepping down, but I'm ending it. I want to end it um, because these are her wishes. Mm. And it's caught a lot of people by surprise. Her attorney actually thinks that he's so he can avoid accountability, that he's trying to dodge any sort of, you know, recompense for the way that he's managed her funds for the last 13 years. Whatever it is, it's it's an update and Brittany could be free of this conservatorship. She could soon. be, but the judge has, well, she, the one who oversees the case, she hadn't appeared to let the conservatorship end. That was my understanding. Yeah. So we don't know whether or not, I mean, it, the power is in her hands at this point. We don't know whether or not um, the judge... Brenda Penny, I think is her name, will actually allow it to happen. I mean, this is a pretty clear-cut 
case then, if, if the father who started the conservatorship says no more, surely that's an out for poor old Brittany. Yeah. Surely, fingers crossed. It's been a long time. Uh, watch this space. There's your little Brittany update. It li- kind of ties in a lot with what we're talking about this week because it's a big a big sort of bang on power edition this week. The Women's Summit happened earlier this week in Canberra and you've probably seen a few stories coming out of it. It was a couple of days. It was all online. Mm. Um, but right before it kicked off as well, the government passed legislation which was pretty much giving effect to some of the recommendations of the landmark Respect at Work inquiry. This was something put together by Commissioner Kate Jenkins. Six of the 12 recommendations were put through, even though the government at the time it was released, this report said that they would put all the recommendations through. They put through half. Get to that later. Yeah. But um, it was... I guess a chance for the government to, as it's been sort of reported elsewhere, it was like, like a gesture of atonement. Mm. Um, well, it all came about, cr- didn't it? It all came about after um, what had happened to Brittany Higgins in yes. Parliament House and, and I guess that was the catalyst. And that was something really interesting about this conference is that she was not, in fact, invited at that, all. So which strange. I think is so strange, so strange. She did, she did end up participating, but that was only because the ACT Victims of Crime Commission arranged for her to be a delegate. The government didn't actually ask her to speak. Yeah. So that, that was like that was a, a bit weird of a flex, a, wasn't it? Trip up. Yeah, yeah. Very weird. I mean, they, they covered all sorts of topics too, uh, of which I think it would have been a really interesting summit for sure. Um, I think a lot of the criticism is that uh, it was there, there's a lot of talk. We need outcomes now and we need actual things happening. But it was all around um, family and sexual violence and, and prevention of that, coercive control, which has been a big one of late. Um, early intervention uh, and bringing in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders people's experiences and and their experience of policing and all of that stuff was going on as well. So, look, it covered a lot of ground, but I think there's been probably a lot more criticism of it than perhaps an embracing of uh, of what the conference aimed to achieve. There was a lot of noise around it and, and some of that noise included, I mean, Koshi got an invite. Brittany Higgins didn't get an invite and Koshi got an invite. What? Well, he showed me this. Why? What was he talking about? Like why was he speaking at the Women's Summit? I, I, look, I think because he owns a football club. Um, this, is the, <laughs> this is the bloke who said, oh, it was like a couple of years ago, quite a few years ago, said that, that women should cover up when they're breastfeeding on, on the Channel 7 oh program. God, I forgot about that. Yeah. Um, and he he was invited, I think, for a panel on violence against women is everybody's business. And I guess because he owns a f- football club, um, talking about it from that perspective, perhaps. I don't know. Obviously, yeah. I mean, look, obviously the... The attention-grabbing speakers like Koshi are going to get more coverage. Uh, there was, like you said, there was a lot of other speakers. I did think that an opportunity was missed in. I, I was watching Scott Morrison give the keynote opening address. It was broadcast on the news channel, mm. and I think that that, if you're talking about making meaningful change, there was a bit of cynicism, and I think rightful cynicism about this being a summit that was, in some people's minds. Maybe an opportunity for him to be forgiven for his actions or inactions, and maybe he could have offered that keynote platform to 
Yeah, someone who could speak meaningfully about the issues to an mm. Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander person with experience and involvement in the field and to include those voices from the very top, from mm. the very kickoff of the conference at this summit that are not often heard at these forums. Let's be honest, these kinds of forums are often um, very whitewashed. You know, they don't often, they're getting better, but they don't often include a large, um, diverse group of people. And to have him kick it off, it just, I don't know, it's hard not to be cynical and think you're the first person there. Yes, of course he's the Prime Minister, um, but what a what a great act it would have been to hand that platform over to someone else and really say this is this is how we're approaching this. And I think that that... That very idea of action over words is something that a lot of people get frustrated about. Brittany Higgins said it herself, you know, I can't match this government's actions with the platitudes and warm sentiments they're all extending today. And this is the thing, you know, the days before they passed this legislation that only covered six of the 12 recommendations. And one of the key things that they left out was this so-called positive duty on companies and organisations to take steps to prevent sexual harassment, discrimination and victimisation. Labor and the Greens were both pushing for this and it was defeated by the government. And basically this change would be a shift shifting the culture to prevention instead of fixing it later. So something mm. happens and hear how you report it. How about we stop that thing from happening, which obviously is far better to stop pain, um, to stop abuse, to stop abuse of power. And that was something that they didn't vote through. And that, to me, I just sort of think, why? Why didn't they vote that through? What is What is holding them back from putting into place in law systems where sexual abuse is preventable as opposed to punishable, mm. just punishable. You know, that's just, yeah, it, it, the mind boggles. I don't know why they didn't push that through. Yeah, it feels like to me at the moment there's a lot of talk of wanting change but not really actually doing the work. I feel like we really needed a bit of a moment here where it was it was more than words and acknowledging that there is a problem is is fine, but we've known this forever since, you know, as long as we could perceive our role, our, our place in society to, it just, it feels a bit too little too late and it, we need stronger direction on this and we need, we need, we need bigger, we, we need commitments and outcomes essentially. But yeah, this is the thing. We need, we need action. And this is something that Catherine Murphy in The Guardian wrote where she said, respect is a worthy objective, but the thing about respect is it has to be earned. The necessary precondition for respect remains action. Mm. So we're, we don't want to complain about this and we don't want to keep having these talk fests. No, it's boring. We want things to change. We want to see action. <laughs> it's awful. It's and we awful. want to see things change. We don't want to talk about it changing. Mm. Look, there's a lot that's been going on in politics and bang on sometimes veers into this territory. We don't always do it, but, um, you know, politics is life. Politics affects how we live. And we talk a lot about history and the way that history is being re-examined, particularly lately. I feel like we've been talking a lot about how, you know, even in the Britney Spears case, like talking about, you know, thinking about how we viewed or acted in the last 20 years and how we now look mm. at that with new eyes. Yeah. Um, and his, and that's this re-examination of history is something that literally is talked about every year when the curriculum is rolled out. Alan Tudge, the Minister for Education, has been causing quite a stir this week because he has suggested after um, 
input from teachers who have put forth what they think of the changes to the Australian um, high school curriculum should be, that Australian history curriculum needs to be more positive. It's a bit of a downer myth, a bit of a bummer. <laughs> Got to oh, be a bit more up vibe. What a surprise, Alan. Of course it's a bit of a downer. That's history. There's a lot of bad stuff in history and, and you know, you and I both acknowledge our roles and that we've played when we were talking about Britney Spears and, and artists like Amy Winehouse, the fact that we mm. consumed the, the media and the fact that, you know, our participation in that dialogue around these people, um, you know, being part of jokes and whatever, we acknowledge now that that was wrong. We didn't know any better but that was wrong and we're learning and getting better and or at least trying to get better making an effort and and this is history history is always like this no no culture no country is faultless in their history and we need to acknowledge the past in a true and honest way and i mean even true is a is a problematic term when it comes to history history is subjective mm. It is always subjective and it's always about yeah. who's telling the stories and and what their motivations are and you need to question history. That, I mean, that is what studying history is about. It's about questioning history and aiming for a more positive angle on history. Look, I'm not, I'm not sure what the objective is. I think Alan Tudge was in, in that great interview that was done on Hack. He suggested that if you don't, feel passionately about Australia, you won't defend Australia, which seems like a really kind of... This was the bit that I found, oh, that was so strange. It seems like like a really ancient way of of looking at how the world is running now and um, like it's almost like preparing us for a World War III that that, that requires some sort of physicality and, I I mean, I I don't know my understanding of... No, no, school, is, it sounded like he was saying that unless you learn a positive view of history, you're not going to recruit to the army. School yeah. is not a recruitment <laughs> tool. School is a place where no. you le- learn to critically analyse and uh, question and form a greater view of the world so that you move forward in possibly a different way than you left behind so you mm. don't make the same mistakes again. Or you make the same mistakes, but you know why that they're being made. It's not a, like that to me just reeked of him talking about um, education as a recruitment tool. Yeah. And I was like, what? This and doesn't that, make sense. It's not right. And that also ties into things like patriotism, which can be quite dangerous when it comes to understanding history because patriotism implies that that your belief is so strong that you can sort of well, to me it implies anyway that you can sort of shed any of that negativity and just, you know, believe in that one thing. Um, and that's like a, a blind bit scary. Faith. Like that's not preparing kids for the world because the world is mm. not like that. Their life is not black and white. It never was but it's less so now. And treating history as if it's some sort of patriotic thing to me seems really odd. Avani Dice on Hack Uh, questioned Alan Tudge about this. I'll put that in the show notes. It was a a great interview that she did on Hack and she brought up that you said black and white quite literally, you know, how Indigenous communities have been treated post-colonisation and Alan Tudge suggested that it was weighted too much towards including that part of Australia's history, which we've both talked about before, having learnt very little of our true history mm. when you and I were going to school in the in the 80s and, and 90s and 
he kind of maintained that, you know, our, our prosperity and nationalism is a sign of success and, and other lived experience is kind of an an opinion. You know, it's not the full story of Australia is not told if he's going in to, you know, signing off on these decisions of new curriculum in with this perspective. And, and like I said, how do you actually, how do you move forward? They... Uh, a professor, Mark Rose, who's a, a Guntaj Mara man and, and chair of the um, ACARA's Indigenous Committee, also told TAC that, you know, these these changes aren't about removing part of our national history. And I think that whenever these conversations come up, it's like, you know, the old male and stales, old white male and stales who we've talked about before are kind of like, what are we going to lose? What are we going to lose? And it's like, no, you're actually adding to it. You're presenting all sides of the story um, and you just want to make sure that there's a, a balance to that. And the other part of this story this week, which I have very personal kind of involvement in because I live with a teacher. My boyfriend yeah. is a history and geography teacher. And he told me, this is kind of how I first heard about it. He's like, he said, Alan Tudge is blocking all the history teachers who are asking him why he's, you know, questioning his his reasoning around this. He's just blocking people. And people aren't being abusive or inflammatory. They're just literally asking him and he's just blocking everyone. And Jeff, my partner, <laughs> tweeted him and said, hey, why are you blocking history teachers? And he got blocked. It's <laughs> just like, what? <laughs> How- you can't just <laughs> mute people that question you. You are an elected official. And uh-huh. teachers and academics asking questions you know, the new Victorian opposition leader, Matthew Guy, did the same thing, just blocking up a storm. Mate, you're accountable. Like, you're accountable and you're an elected official and if you don't want to be on Twitter, then don't be on Twitter but you can't just block people who ask you questions. Yeah, absolutely. It's just wild to me. It was wild to me to see that. Like, people were asking Alan Tudge very basic questions. Blocked. Mm. Nidal Nguyen posted a great tweet. Uh, around this as well. She's a writer, lawyer, feminist, columnist. Um, You would have seen her heaps on on the telly. And she posted in the last day, if you want history to only teach what makes you comfortable, then you are not interested in history. You're interested in propaganda. Yeah. and, And I think there was a reply to that tweet that said, history is a contested space and good teachers help their students understand that. Mm. That's, that's all it is. Oh, God, look, after all that, I think we need a bit of a palate cleanser or maybe even a plate cleanser, Miff. Oh, put out your Kmart plates. Um, An excellent headline (laughs) this week in the Daily Mail. I don't often recommend Daily Mail reads, but it was the headline that got me straight away because it not only told us of the news of Nadia Bartel, social media influencer, being caught on camera snorting a powdery substance off a plate. This is the kicker. This is the headline for the story. Moment high-profile wag Nadia Bartel snorts white powder from a $1.50 Kmart plate leaked in Instagram video. Uh, It was the shame of being a a globetrotting, jet-setting fashionista with a $1.50 Kmart plate. That gave me 
you know that 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 ga- I think that gave a lot of us a bit of joy this week because we've all got those Kmart plates, and quite frankly, I've got no <laughs> problems with Nadia if she wants to pull out the Kmart plate for, for mates. That's that's her business, no issues there. But the fact that she was in lockdown um, has meant that that she got a fine. There were no legal charges, um, but it gave us all something this week. Every week needs a social media influencer to. To give us a bit of joy and a bit of light, <laughs> and uh, I'm not sure if this is this is it, this is it, but it certainly helped. I put out my Kmart plate for her. I've got the same plate. Oh, did you? Have you? <laughs> Have you? I've got Kmart wine, wine glasses, but not the plates. And um, yeah, I vibe on them. You know, things that are probably going to break at some stage. Ten dollars for six glasses. I'll <laughs> I'll pay that. I will literally pay that. Uh, but it was something to bring us together. Like you say, we're very bored right now, Miff. Very, yeah. very bored. We just need something. The fact that we're talking about Alan Tudge in Bang On shows just how bored we are this week. Well, look, I wouldn't mind bringing out the Kmart plates myself, but, you know, <laughs> <laughs> not that I condone that kind of activity um, in any way, shape or form, but, yeah, it just reminded me of the fact that we're in lockdown still, day 200 and what? what is it now? 200 stop, and stop I don't counting, know. Stop doesn't, counting. Doesn't matter. But um, I just thought, good on her. I know it's probably rough for Nadia right now. So I, I probably, you know, we probably shouldn't make too much light of this situation. But um, when we can bring out the Kmart plates later on, and I mean that as a euphemism, not just for, not for what she was doing, but for just having friends over, that would be nice. I think forever it will be known as that the next time anyone's friends come over. It's like coming over. I'm bringing out the Kmart plates. Is this the new Dan Murphy opening hours? I think it is. I think it is. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, before we get into Bang On um, and speaking of getting bored in lockdown, I got a great review on the Apple Podcast app that I wanted to give a shout-out to Tracy. Her heading was trying to catch up. Hi, ladies. Thanks to my housemate, I discovered your podcast and now I'm up to the Melbourne live show so she's literally starting from the beginning and living bang on in reverse. Oh, my God. Not too bad considering we're in lockdown. Thank you for getting me through and for the knowledge that I have good taste in my binge choices. So many shows mentioned I have watched. Thanks for helping me get through the repetitive process of working from home and the never-ending cleaning and culling. Big fan. Thank you, Tracy. I'm always so astounded that people go back because bang on is a capture of the week that was and it kind of makes me – um, giggly to think that you you go back and and listen from the very beginning, and also, like it must sound so different. Life pre pandemic times, the before times, Miff. It must. I'm imagining it's oh. we're talking about a whole bunch of very different stuff. Maybe we weren't. Maybe the pandemic hasn't changed us. I can't even I remember I what feel, I was before this. <laughs> I feel like I've changed from the core. I I feel like a completely different person now that we've been through this. So. Totally. I don't know. I'm, I'd be too scared to listen back. Not that I listen back anyway because I'm terrible. But, I was going to say um, you never even listen to the new episodes. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Which is fair enough because you live in it, aren't you? Oh, that's true. That is true. But I think that's lovely that people do that. Um, just hope we don't say anything that will get us cancelled. 
well, we've still got the rest of our lives to get cancelled. Well, what are I, you banging on about this week? I do think everyone will get cancelled at some point in their lives. So, <laughs> Is it like everyone you know. will get coronavirus, everyone will get cancelled as well? <laughs> exactly. And and as we can see, um, cancelling doesn't really mean anything, even though people do a lot of yelling about cancel culture. It doesn't mean anything. Everyone who has been cancelled seems to still be in work, in jobs. They take a little break and then they're back at it. So... I don't know. See last week's episode of Bang On for a, a reference to that as well. Yeah. Um, oh, uh, what, what, are you what am I banging on about this week? Oh, I just started watching um, the new telly show that lots of people are talking about, starring the fabulous Sandra O, oh, who I adore watching. I could watch her in anything. Um, it's about a university lecturer. Uh, she is, in fact, a professor and she is the chair of the English department, uh, a fictional uni, Pembroke Uni. It's called The Chair, which sounds rather dull, um, but it's actually far more interesting than that. And it encapsulates a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about over the last, you know, couple of years here on Bang On. It's it's about how stories are told and it's about history and it's about what kids are interested in and it's about changing of the guard and changing of the culture because um, Sandra O plays the chair and she is the first woman chosen for the position. She's the first woman of colour. She attempts to ensure the tenure of a young a young black colleague um, and there's other stories. She's got a crush there who's a kind of dithering, hopeless professor, I think, who previously had the chair and might have lost it and, and she's fallen for him. I'm a bit over that storyline, you know, but everything else is really good. Oh, there she is. Our first lady chair. Woman, I'm not going to sugarcoat this. We're in dire crisis. I wouldn't be surprised if the president asked for Bill's resignation. Can he stay for dinner? No. No wonder nobody wanted to marry you. Are you too involved? My defending Professor Dobson has nothing to do with my feelings for him, which are entirely platonic and professional. Everybody knows she's in love with him. You wearing makeup? What? No. It's pretty. Don't you ever think about it? The love interest is played by the guy from Transparent who played the brother. Yeah, Jay Duplass. This is literally the role that he plays in every single um, show. And I saw someone, I forget who it was, someone tweet the other day, why does he always play this and why am I um, uh, infuriatingly attracted to him? I know. <laughs> like one, but I, but- I don't want to save this guy. I find I find that, um, that storyline quite frustrating because she is so... Like she, she gives him a lot of leeway, and mm. it's very frustrating to watch because she's so capable. And like, and I agree, she's so watchable. Like, she's oh. just magnetic, isn't she, on screen? She's the best. She's the absolute best. So, if you want something that, you know, it is, it, it's got some elements where you, you, you'll see things happening in the wider world that are relevant to this show, but it's also, it's, you know, it's a great little soap opera as well. And there's lots of older. Cast members, um, Holland Taylor highlight as an older woman. So and, funny. And there's a great scene where she's trying to talk about a problem with her office with somebody who's in charge of sorting that problem out and you see the divide even though, you know, the intellectualism is there. She, the, um, Holland Taylor, her character, knows what she's saying is wrong but she just can't not say it about the young woman, you know, wearing not enough clothes for her to be doing that job and it's it's like oh god this is this is what we we see played out in the everyday and it's like don't yeah. do it don't do it and she does it and yeah it's great it's 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 a good fun watch and 27 minutes long which is my kind of show my kind of show too at the moment hey what are you banging on about 
I'm banging on about a book that came out late last year. It's a bestseller. Uh, it's another one of the audio books I've been listening to. I've been kind of reading a book and listening to a book at the same time. It's called The Midnight Library. I know a lot of people have read this by Matt Haig, read by Carrie Mulligan, who reads it so, so well. When you get an actor to read a book, they do all the characters. She mm. did a very good job. And the idea behind The Midnight Library is that basically between life and death, there's this library and within the library the shelves go on forever and every book on the shelf is a chance to try another life that you might have lived. So it's kind of that sliding doors idea, you know, to see what would happen if you'd made different choices in your life and if you would do anything differently um, if you had the chance to undo your regrets. Nora Seed is the woman who's caught in the library and there's many, many worlds She's a 30-something woman. She's got a lot of regrets. She feels really alienated and unwanted. And one day she decides that she doesn't want to live anymore. And this is where the story begins. And I don't want to give away all the different lives that she leads because that's part of the fun reveal. Um, but this was just what I needed because I've been reading, you know, a few nonfiction books and then when they're fiction, quite heavy books. The other book I'm reading right now um, is like a fantasy book that – my boyfriend gave me, but it's so brutal. It's so violent. And I'm like, this is not what I meant when I wanted fantasy. <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Jeff. <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. It's good though, but it's like, whew, I'm glad I had the the Midnight Library on, on the side as well. And it's it's also a really beautiful way of looking at what what success and happiness means and what what that equates to in, in your life and and if we if we live for ourselves or if we live for others, all of that sort of stuff and all of that stuff I think that people have been thinking about particularly mm. in this last year and a half, um, it's it was just that, you know, right book at the right time. So uh, it's been optioned for the screen as well that I saw. I, no details about who's directing it or who's going to star in it. It literally just happened recently, but it will become a movie someday. So I say before it becomes a movie, um, give it a go, either by listening to Carrie Mulligan read it or reading it yourself. It's called The Midnight Library. And I loved it. I just tore through it. I thought it was so great. Where would you go if you ended up at the Midnight Library and you had to choose? That is such a good question. I don't want to give away any. I wanted to steal some of her lives, to be honest. I don't want to give away any of her <laughs> lives. Um, but there's moments where, you know, when you thought, I've always wanted to do that, but also I wonder if I could do that. I've always wondered what it would be like to stand on stage and play an instrument in front of like tens of thousands of people and be a rock star. Aww. But I also don't know if I could do that. <laughs> it's terrifying. You know Not what? that I'm a rock star, you know but I have played an instrument in front of thousands of people and it's freaking terrifying. I can do everything else, but not that. I love that idea of being terrified though, but, you know, I, t I think it totally stems from the fact that I never learned how to read music but would keep trying to learn instruments and I literally was in school band miming the French horn, <laughs> be, pretend, pretending to play because I didn't actually know what the fuck I was doing. Oh so I think God. there's a part of me that's like if only I'd learned how to read music, my life could be different. <laughs> Here it is. It's the regret. I could be a rock star, the sliding doors moment. Oh, my God. I just I think I just want to come back as a cat. I think that'll do. Someone, yes. someone, you lie around the house, someone feeds you, cleans up your poo. Um, oh my God. You don't have to do the anything. Ultimate life. You get a cuddle if you show even vague signs of attention. It's like, that's me. I, I've got no other aspirations other than that. <laughs> Hells yes. 
Hey, I also wanted to tell you that I finally finished Call My Agent. <gasps> I watched the final episode and obviously when they made it, they thought it was going to be wrapped and now it's coming back whenever. But I, I, I'm not going to say any spoilers for those who are watching it on Netflix. Miff, that was a perfect ending. I don't want them to bring I know, it back. I know. They wrapped it up. They did it. Why are they doing this? I don't know. I, I'm glad they are, though. I miss them already. As soon as that final episode happened, I've missed them all already. As dysfunctional as Such they a great all show. are, they're perfect. <laughs> Thank you for putting me onto it all those years ago. I finally finished it and I loved it. And a great, as we said on, I think, maybe I said it on Bang Back, maybe I said it on Twitter, but any show with subtitles right now is your friend because you can't second screen. Mm. You have to focus on one thing and it is mindful watching. Yes. <laughs> so you have to read the subtitles and not be on your phone scrolling through Instagram. Who, Highly recommend Call Who My knew that in 2021 we, we would be saying watching one screen is mindful? Isn't that hilarious? This is where we're at. What a time. What a time to be alive. <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely coming back as a cat. <laughs> Well, I look forward to um, seeing you next week and purring along your leg. Oh, that was a bit creepy, wasn't That's it? That's all right. I'll, I'll give you a little spray. <laughs> <laughs> see you next week. Uh, see ya. Bang. 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 Bang on.